This morning's scripture and sermon theme are focused on pity from the line in Mark's gospel story about the encounter between the leper and Jesus, where it says that Jesus was moved with pity. It's interesting to me then that as we look forward a week from today toward the first Sunday in Lent, that the theme on that Sunday is shame, because I think those two things are often tied together in our minds, pity and shame. It is as if to be pitied, or even worse, to be pitiful, is something about which to be ashamed. Being pitied in that frame of thinking actually is a shameful thing. How pathetic we think that someone is so weak, so vulnerable, that they need our pity. And how much worse we think if we are the ones to be pitied. How embarrassing. No one wants to be pitied. It's one small step away from being worthless. That's the way we have been taught to think about pity as something to be avoided at all costs, as the fruit of weakness and vulnerability. Most would, be, would rather be treated with contempt than pity. Pity injures our pride. But I want to take a step back from that way of thinking, and I want us to think about pity a little bit differently this morning. I want us to think of it in a way that separates it from shame. We will have opportunity to deal with the topic of shame next week to put it in its proper context. So this morning I want us to think about pity not as something pathetic, but as something that might testify to our common human vulnerabilities. Something that has more to do with empathy and identification and compassion, because I think that's the way it's understood in the context of Jesus' encounter with the leper in this short story from the end of the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. Here's the setting. Jesus has been healing people left and right. Before we get to this morning's story, which begins in verse 40, it says in verse 33 that following the casting out of the unclean spirit in the synagogue and the healing of Simon's mother-in-law's fever, quote, the whole city was gathered at his door. That is, people had brought all their sick and suffering to him. And then later in verse 39, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee with his ministry of proclamation and healing. Now, while it does not outline all the kinds of healing he did beyond the few specific cases I already noted, it must have been a little of everything. Because when this morning's story begins, the man with leprosy, the leper, seems to have no hesitation in asking for healing of his particular condition. And no doubt that Jesus is capable of, of helping him. So in verse 40, in the beginning of the scripture story for today, this man with leprosy comes to Jesus asking for help. Actually, he's not just asking. He's on his knees begging. And he uses an interesting word when he calls out. He uses the word clean. If you choose, you can make me clean, is what he says. The word to make clean is an interesting one. It's an interesting phrase because it's slightly different than the word healed or the word cured. It's the Greek word katharizo, which you may recognize as the root of our English word catharsis, which has to do with purification or cleansing through a process of release. 
It's the word that is used when talking about lepers who need cleansing. It is the word used when Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees for their commitment to purification rituals without the same commitment to spiritual integrity. And it is the word that appears in the book of Acts when Peter has his vision of various animals that are offered to him as food lowered on a sheet, things considered unclean, and he hears a voice which says to him, what God has made clean you must not call profane. It's a word where exclusion is turned toward inclusion and restriction is turned toward release. So the leper comes begging Jesus, falls to his knees and says, if you choose, you can make me clean. That is, if you want to, you can heal me, yes, but you can also purify me. You can release me from my unclean state and restore me to my community. You can change my condition. You can also restore my status. You, Jesus, have the power to heal me physically, to restore my body, and to restore me to my family, my neighborhood, my religious community. It's my body, but it's also my status. You can give my life back to me. Please, please choose to do this for me. Choose to give my life back to me by cleansing me, releasing me from this sickness. You, Jesus, can you feel my pain? And Jesus, the text says, was moved with pity. And again, the word here is important, the word pity, because the word here literally means to have bowels yearning. To be moved with pity in this verse, although sometimes translated as moved with compassion or filled with compassion, means something less tame, less sterile than what the English word compassion suggests. It means to feel it in your gut. Do you see the play on words here? The clever pairing of the words make clean with moved with pity? The leper wants to be made clean physically, ritually, and Jesus feels it in his bowels, perhaps the most unclean part of us. The leper falls on his knees in front of Jesus, begging for Jesus to make him clean, that is to restore him, to release him, to bring him back from exile, from, from exclusion, from suffering, from separation, from sickness. And Jesus feels it in his gut. He's moved with pity. Now, I want you to think about those times when you have allowed yourself to feel someone else's pain or vulnerability, their begging for relief, their appeal for your help, when you've allowed yourself to feel it deeply in your gut. Did you think about it as gut-wrenching? We prefer to talk about something in our heart rather than our bowels, feeling something in our heart rather than our bowels. Maybe that's because to say something is heartfelt sounds more pleasant than saying it is gut-churning. But feeling something in your gut means that it is real. It is a reality check at the level of our shared human experience. 
It is an acknowledgement of our messy, painful, confusing, and shared human condition. And such feeling, such recognition, if it is honest, is always felt in the deepest places within us. And we need to feel those feelings, to feel someone else's pain in the place where it hurts, where it churns. Pity is not about sterile, separated recognition, not about looking at someone else and thinking, well, that person is pitiful, and then having as our very next thought, and I'm glad it's them and not me. Rather, having pity, being moved by pity, is hearing them, listening to them, feeling their pain, their fear, their need for healing or justice or affirmation, as if the same needs that they are expressing are sitting heavily in our own gut. Pity might be something like empathy, which is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, but it's more intense than that. It's sharing that churning feeling, the deep discomfort, even the agony. I don't particularly want to wade into the political maneuverings of the impeachment trial of this past week, what happened, how it turned out, but I will say that one part of one speech in particular caught my attention on Tuesday. It was the last part of the opening remarks by Representative Jamie Raskin, the lead House impeachment manager, as he talked about his family and what happened to him and them on January 6th. This is how one news article reported the story. Representative Jamie Raskin, the House's lead manager of impeachment proceedings against former President Donald Trump, cited the terror experienced by members of his family during the Capitol riot on January 6th, during a tearful argument in favor of conviction on the Senate floor on Tuesday afternoon. Raskin, 58, detailed his personal experiences on the day of the riot, which took place just days after his son Tommy's funeral. The Maryland Democrat noted that his daughter Tabitha and his son-in-law Hank accompanied him to the Capitol on January 6th to provide emotional support as lawmakers met to confirm President Biden's election victory. Raskin's family members were later trapped inside House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer's office as pro-Trump rioters stormed the Capitol complex. The congressman noted that it was, quote, too late for him to reach his family. All around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones, to say goodbye, Raskin said. Then there was a sound I'll never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram, the most haunting sound that I've ever heard, and I will never forget it. My chief of staff, Julius Hagen, was with Tabitha and Hank, locked and barricaded in that office, and my kids were hiding under the desk, placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes, Raskin added. They thought they were going to die. Raskin stopped several times to compose himself during the speech. At one point, he said that he apologized to his daughter about what happened at the Capitol. I told her how sorry I was, and I told her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. You know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. Of all the terrible things I saw and heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest, he said. Now, 
to that report, some additional information needs to be added. First, that Raskin's son, Tommy, died by suicide on the last day of 2020. So there was that additional layer of tragedy in the background of his life. Second, that his son was buried not days before, but one day before on January 5th, so that his grief and his family's grief was particularly fresh. And the reason his daughter and son-in-law ended up sheltering in Steny Hoyer's office was because that was where they had been before the speeches preceding the electoral college count started. They were there with Raskin, receiving expressions of sympathy from his house colleagues, about which Raskin also said, their expressions of sympathy lifted me from my agony, and I won't forget their tenderness. And third, that when Raskin gave this closing part of his presentation and talked at times through tears about the separation from his daughter and son-in-law during the chaos of what happened that day and about their fear of death at the hands of those who had breached the Capitol, as he made those particular remarks, those who were on the Senate chamber, in the Senate chamber, became completely quiet. And all the senators stopped taking notes and focused intently on what Raskin was saying. Usually in such situations when one side is speaking, making a speech in the Senate, the other side is fiddling, texts on phones, whispered conversations, doodles on notepads. But in that moment, that complete and attentive silence in the Senate chamber says something important, I think. It makes me wonder, did they listen so carefully as he told that personal part of his story because they were able to feel past the politics in some deep part of themselves, some gut-clenching empathy for this man who lost his son to suicide on December 31st, buried him on January 5th, and brought his daughter and son-in-law to the Capitol on January 6th, only to face the fear of losing them as well. As he shed tears during the telling of his story, did they pity him in the way we have often thought of pity? Oh, how sad for him having all this happen on the heels of the death of his 24-year-old son. But that has nothing to do with me. Or did they feel something with which they could deeply identify? Something to share of common pain and fear. As they heard his recollection of burying one of his children one day and then facing the threat to the life of another the next day, did they feel something move inside themselves? Perhaps the kind of feeling that any parent has when faced with the awful but real mortality of their own children. Because any parent who has lost a child, who has felt that despair and that powerlessness when they speak of it, speaks of a vulnerability that is at the core of every parent. And if any parent who has so far avoided such pain is willing to at least imagine such pain, that imagining will be something that sits in their gut. And that's what pity is, or at least should be. 
a willingness to share such feelings of sadness or fear or grief at the gut level. Now, the question for us is this. Are we willing to go there when someone is standing before us in the midst of their own pain or suffering or sickness or wrenching grief? Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to allow ourselves to step close enough that we feel another's suffering, another's pain in our own gut? To imagine that what is happening or has happened to them could just as well happen to us. And if we won't lean in, is it because we are trying to protect ourselves from our own feelings of vulnerability by not getting too close to someone else's vulnerability? Will we refuse to offer pity because we don't want to hold up a mirror to our own powerlessness? We may fear whatever makes us weak and whatever reminds us of our own vulnerable humanness, but let's not back up from another's need or another's pain because we want no reminders of our own need or our own pain. Sometimes it seems as though we are programmed to do everything we can to avoid being pitied or pitiable because we are afraid of revealing to each other our common humanity, which has vulnerability at its core. But every time we try to avoid our common humanity, we delude ourselves as we pretend that we are better or safer or stronger than the one we pity. I could never have leprosy. I could never have a child who commits suicide. I could never have to barricade the doors to keep out a mob. That's something that happens to other people, to other weaker people, people who make mistakes that I haven't made, to people who are unlucky or not careful. But the truth is that we are not immune to tragedy or misfortune or illness or accident. And when any of those things happen to others, we should not turn away because their humanity is our humanity. Their vulnerability is our vulnerability. Their powerlessness is our powerlessness. If we are going to be afraid of something in those moments, it shouldn't be a fear of sharing our weakness. We should instead fear the temptation to deny our weakness. Because we dare not forget this, that pity, being willing to receive someone, to join someone in their vulnerability, makes us more human. while rejecting someone else's vulnerability makes us less so. One of, the, one of the things which we testify, to which we testify in faith, is that God understands us in our weakness and accepts us in our weakness. Can we humans do the same for each other? In the story, the leper drops his pride after all, who can afford 
pride. He gets down on his knees and begs, if you choose, you can make me clean. In other words, you can heal me, you can restore me if you let what I feel touch what you feel. And then on the other side, because Jesus is moved with pity, because he feels it in his gut, Jesus drops his separateness. After all, who can afford separateness? And Jesus says to the man, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves the man and he is made clean, whole. I want to invite you to take some time this coming week to let yourself feel what you feel. Be honest with yourself about your pain, your disappointment, even your suffering. But then I also want to invite you to consider going one step further and taking the risk of trusting someone else to see that vulnerable space within your own life and to offer it without worry about being pitiful. And at the same time, to be willing to turn toward rather than turn away from someone else's vulnerability, to be the person who feels another person's pain in your gut. It would be good if we could make emotionally courageous connections. Connections that are not afraid of pity because deep compassion, deep empathy, true pity is in short supply in this world. And to overcome that, we need to practice leaning into our common humanity and our shared vulnerability. Healing only begins when our human vulnerability is deeply offered and deeply received. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.